Hi, this is Gary Rogowski for the Northwest Woodworking Studio. Welcome to our podcast. I'm excited today to chat with Roger Benton, co-owner of Rico Brooklyn. A what? Tell us what Rico Brooklyn is. I was going to typify you, but I shouldn't. Tell us what it is. Hi, Roger. Hey, Gary. Dude, thank you so much for having me on here. Uh, sure. It's always a pleasure to talk to you, and I'm I'm thrilled to be on your podcast. Rico Brooklyn. Well, to to just start with the recent news. Uh, I'm no longer a co-owner. I am now the owner. Of hey, Rico. whoa, okay. Little upper management shuffle. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Rico's, <clears throat> it's always been my baby, my kind of passion project and vision. And um, I've had a bunch of different people that have helped out for different amounts of times over the years. And, and right now, like official ownership of the company is, is, is just me again which is, you know, it's, it's a lot more work than it used to be, but it's, right. it's one of the situations where it's nice because for better or for worse, I, I'm, I'm making all the decisions and if things work out, that's great. If they don't, I have nobody but to blame but myself. So let me interrupt. You're a lumber mill and a furniture company? You're a, just a lumber sawyer? Yeah. Tell us what, what your business is. Yeah, so I mean, I got into woodworking just through the tools and techniques, especially the hand tools and the old techniques. And so I've always, like making furniture and woodworking has always been a passion. So has urban lumber harvesting. Uh, that came in a little bit later, but what Rico basically does is we harvest material from here in New York City, trees that come down in storms, trees that are, you know, residential removals, things being cleared to make way for real estate expansion. We harvest that material. We own and operate our own sawmill in-house uh, where we mill up mostly live edge slabs um, and a small amount of like supporting dimensional stock for furniture making. Uh-huh. We kiln dry everything in-house and we do offer that material for sale for other furniture makers to use and we continue doing our furniture maker under the same furniture making under the same name. So, uh -huh. you know, since most of the material we produce is live edge, um, a lot of the furniture we make winds up being live edge. Uh, we do a lot of tables and bars, counters, shelving. We do a lot of casework featuring live edge and also not. So it's, it's been a lot of fun. Usually when we're making something, I, I, I've been aware of the piece of wood in my hands for about three years. Oh, and, wow. You know, we, we picked it out of a log pile to the time it was slabbed and then in the kiln, out of the kiln, in stock, shown to a customer, and then finally, you know, being worked into something. So it's a, it's a pretty cool process. Yeah. And there's a ready supply of material for you to cut up? Interestingly, yeah. Most people don't think that New York City is a great place to harvest logs for lumber. Right. It's, it's actually an amazing place. I mean, granted, we're just one company, but we're, we're really only barely scratching the surface of the usable hardwood that is in the volume of green waste that New York City produces in a year. Yeah, we've got more slabs cut and more logs waiting to be cut than I can shake a stick at. That's that's always been kind of the, the real big surprise is that that's the easy part. Really? Wow. 
do you have a like a contract with the city? Do you have to be Johnny on the spot and be there first? Uh, how, how does it work to grab a log from the confines uh, of New York? Usually we're contacted. One, one of the ways that we get most of the material is just through tree services. And they can be contracted by the city or by local businesses or residents. The way it works is that a lot of the larger tree services have space to store logs and they have equipment to move them. Like where a smaller tree service might chop everything up and grind it up right there on the spot. The bigger guys can just send over a truck. They can do a big removal, take down like five to 10 trees, 20 trees at a time, and then stockpile that stuff until they're ready to take it to a tub grinder. And so you know, it's been years in the making, but we finally have a conversation going with those guys where they'll give us a call and say, you know, hey, I have 100 logs here I need to get rid of. You want to come take a look? And I can usually fill up a truck with, you know, 20 to 25 just amazing examples out of that pile. And Excuse me just a second. Dang, that's a lot of wood. Yeah. It's a, it's a lot of wood. And, you know, for the tree service, that's 20 to 25% less material that he needs to pay in order to have chopped up in the mulch and then dumped in a landfill somewhere. You get those logs for free. He's happy to see you. Does he pay you? What's the deal? Free is the, is the, my favorite term. It's, right. it's free as long as you can, you can pay a tractor trailer to move it. And right. you can, you can, you can handle tens of thousands of pounds of lumber milling it all up, air drying it, kiln drying it. Like two years later, we have our free lumber. Exactly. (laughs) So there's certainly plenty cost involved, but it's, it's nice having material where I know exactly where it came from. And I, I have the little peace of mind in the back of my head that a, um, my customers aren't adding to the demand for forest sourced lumber and we're, we're keeping material out of a landfill. Right. Uh, so for, for those and other reasons, it's worth it. You know, we can also control exactly how our material is milled and dried, which is nice. Sure. And, you know, we get, we, we wind up seeing beauty in a lot of species that would, are pretty easy for woodworkers to overlook as being mundane. You know, if you look at ash, it's a, it's a perfectly utilitarian wood. Right. It's hard and it's strong and it, it's relatively stable. But when you look at a ash slab that's 13 feet long and like 44 inches wide, like we happen to have a bunch of and I've never seen anything like it. Like on that scale from edge to edge, there's so much going on in each. Right. Board. Wow. Uh, it's just really beautiful stuff. I and bet. so, yeah, it's, it's an interesting journey. Do you? cut up at a certain time of the year you like get a lot of logs put together and then cut them up or do you just cut as they come in how's it work recently what's been working best is to is to bang out a lot of milling seasonally it's 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 hard work it's heavy sweaty dirty backbreaking work and so we try to get it done in the cooler months we're not just killing ourselves out there in the heat right Um, and if we just put a few months out of the year into milling nonstop, like we've done that for a few years, and honestly, I could run the mill. I could not run the mill for another two years, and we have plenty of material cut. So, yeah, it's definitely the milling itself isn't full time. 
once that part of the season is done, then it's just about maintaining the kiln loads and getting wood in and out of the drying process and keeping an eye on it, making sure that that's running well. And that way we have more time to focus on furniture making. Right. So tell me a little bit about your saw. Is it a, I've seen two types. I've seen big double bladed circular saws, one coming through the floor and one coming through the ceiling four foot diameter blades and and then bandsaw mill what kind of mill do you have well we've got a third type we've used bandsaw mills in the past uh-huh. uh, and benefits to that is that they're relatively quick and they can produce a lot of material the negative part of that for me is you're usually limited to uh, a medium size i'll call it width of cut uh-huh. uh, a lot of our furniture has been getting steered towards like larger and larger tables and so we're looking at larger and larger logs and the mill that we settled on for that stuff is an australian brand named lucas and Uh it's like a, a modified chainsaw chain it's basically a very very thick chainsaw chain with uh, a left and a right tooth every 11 drivers so there's there's almost a foot of space between each pair of teeth say and what that, yeah that's that. What? Wow. And they're, so they're sharpened. Obviously, they're ground down to be very aggressive, and it's run by a 30-horsepower motor. Huh. Uh, and the, the mill is such that you, you, you basically roll a log right underneath it, and then you can level out the mill to the log and start ripping off slabs. Right. So, and, so is this a gas motor or electric motor? It's a gasoline motor. I, I believe they do make an electric version. We have a couple of them that are both gasoline. Uh-huh. A couple of them. Wow. Yeah. Sure. Well, the next thing is that the mill can also be configured with a flattening plate to to surface slabs that are already dry. Um, so once they go through the air drying process and then the kiln drying process, there's usually a little bit of shape to the faces. And so we can cue them back up under the other machine and surface them flat, get them ready for the sander. You mean you don't have to set up tracks on either side and sit there with a three-quarter inch bit on a router going back and forth over? Yeah. Oh, mercy. I'd rather sharpen up a jack plane than do that all day. <laughs> no yeah. kidding. No kidding. Yeah. The, the sawmills are in Brooklyn? Um, we, one of them is here at our shop in Ridgewood, and the other one is in upstate New York at our milling facility. Uh-huh. Okay. So you, you truck your, your logs up there and do the sign up there. Yeah, we're, we're crazy. We take logs from the city, we truck them to our mill upstate, cut them, stack them, dry them, and then bring them back down to our shop. Oh, it's, that's not crazy. It's, I think it's a great idea, particularly if you're getting, let's air quotes around the word free material. Yeah. <laughs> um, so what kind of species are you running into? Tell us some of the things you've seen. Well, what's in the racks right now, I've got white oak, I've got red oak, we've got Norway maple and silver maple, I've got ash, walnut, cherry, ailanthus, Um, we get a lot of beech, I've got some sweet gum slabs in here, and I've got a few slabs in stock now from a European elm tree that was planted in Prospect Park. Oh, Uh, Super pretty stuff. I bet. And, uh, have you ever worked elm before? I worked at once. That's all. Well, we, we get um, we get a lot of ch- like Chinese or Siberian elm, uh-huh. but the Euro elm is a totally different elm. 
it's oh, it's okay. uh, it's a very interesting wood to work with. It's super dry and thirsty, and uh, it, it the grain there's not a single straight line anywhere to be found on any piece of wood that came from this tree. The oh. grain is all over the place. Right. So, yeah, it's 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 a challenge, but it's also like it's got a one of a kind look to it. So it's worth yeah. it. So when you're sawing, you run into nails and screws. What sort of things do you run into? What have you found inside the logs? We milled up a mulberry log one time that came out of a Brooklyn backyard, and we hit 11 nails on the first cut. Oh, ouch. Uh, oh, God. So, yeah, we definitely get a lot of stuff in the wood. You know, we've seen concrete. We've seen hollows where apparently some hoarding squirrel has just stowed everything it ever got its hands on uh-huh. uh, we've seen um batteries Whoa. like disposable batteries oh, man. garden yeah. hose um i found a nail set in the middle of a sugar maple log one time God. so that was uh the end of that blade that's no. sure. yeah no kidding so how long is one of those uh, lucas mill blades i mean well, it's not the teeth but Gotta be pretty long. Uh, it, it's got around like a sixty-three to sixty-five inch cutting capacity width. Wow! Yeah, so twice that plus more, huh? Yeah. So um, you've run. I've run into bullets in in milled up lumber, and that they're no problem because they're lead. But yeah. steel and concrete, oh mercy, that's that's no fun. Well, for yeah, for the urban lumber, um, that was another drawback of the band mill. Is when when you hit something like that, your blades usually toast. But with the with the Lucas mill, it, that's not necessarily the case. Like you can always, unless it's something really big and bad, you can just back it out. You can sharpen it and then dig out your foreign object and keep milling. Uh huh. Oh, that's nice. So once you've you've sawed, you put it right in the kiln. Or actually, let me back up. Do you let the logs sit for a while? I know you get to the cool part of the season, but are there some logs you let sit and sort of untwist? Or yeah, does, does that matter? Yeah, I mean, and we it, it really depends on the species. Um, some logs can sit, and some logs can't. You know, ash and beech in particular are pretty susceptible to fungus, and once they're cut, um, even with the ends sealed really well there's going to be mushrooms popping out of the sides of those ones pretty quickly. So those ones we'll try to milk quickly. Um, Walnut seems to be like wine. It just gets better with age. So if a walnut log has to sit around for a few years, I'm not going to be upset about that because it's just going to look great. Just about everything else, like we we try to mill in in bundles that are going to go in the kiln. So I'll try to mill up a bunch of logs that are all – of a similar wood type at the same time. Right. And, you know, I, I believe in drying wood very, very gently. So everything is going to air dry for quite some time before we put it in the kiln, anywhere from one to five years, probably. And just let the drying happen slowly and naturally. Right. Aside from the condition of the wood, like we, we retain a lot more color and figure that way. Is the kilning process then just a bug kill or is it? How long, I mean, say you've got an ash log, how long does that sit? You're trying to get two-inch stock on it. How long does it sit in the kiln? Um, if, we, if we just cut up a bunch of two-inch slabs um, of ash, they'd probably, 
air dry for around a year, maybe 18 months. And at that point, we'd throw them in the kiln. They'd probably be 30, maybe in the 40s percent uh, moisture content wise. And we'd be looking at a eight to 12 week kiln cycle. Oh, no kidding. Uh huh. Yeah. And you take, what do you take it down to moisture content wise? So the kiln's got about, the kiln's got four probes in the wood distributed throughout the size of the chamber. And we, we wait for everything to read below 8%. So some of those probes might be down to six. Some of them, you know, might just read 7.9. Some of them might be even lower than six, but we, we get everything down below eight. That's where supposedly the lingon is going to dry up and be less able to reabsorb moisture so that we can think more about long-term stability. That wood's not going to reacclimate as much once the lingons dried up. And that's that, that, that 8% number seems to be the magic number for that. Uh-huh. Uh, what kind of kiln uh, are, you, are you running? Uh, we, we built it. It's a, it's a Nile kiln. So the computer and the dehumidification unit fan structure all came from a company called Nile. And we built it into a refrigerated shipping container. Right. So, yeah, it's a nice large space. It's, it's already very well insulated and has a load-bearing floor. So that saved us a lot of work. And we, uh, we built out the interior of it with a, a fan truss to keep a cylindrical airflow moving with the dehumidification unit, uh, heating elements, and all the fans, the probes, the thermometers, the vents, all the stuff that we need. And so, yeah, it's a, it's a basic dehumidification kiln. What it does is it heats up the wood so that the wood releases moisture, and then it just sucks the moisture from the air. And we start out pretty gently with temperatures in the 90s, and we wind up pretty aggressive at the very last steps with temperatures around 140 mark. Uh, and that's what kills the bugs and fungus. Right, right. To me, peace of mind that I don't get an embarrassing phone call down the road from a customer. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you wouldn't want that phone call. But yeah, I, uh, my local guy here in the in the Willamette Valley uh, will oftentimes just uh, put a load in for a couple of days, just at 120 degrees, just to bug kill it. Yeah, and, and then you know the stuff's dry enough. Uh, we're just getting rid of the the insects, which boy, they love that wood. There show up, that's for sure. Do you think of yourself as a chainsaw artist or a tree hugger? Uh, I like the term wood butcher. Oh, uh, there you go. <laughs> it's funny because I love trees and I'm all about comfort, you know, conservation. Um, and I also, I see standing trees that are perfectly healthy and I just want to cut them down and slab them up. Right. Uh, I, I, I like the idea of doing it well. You know, yeah. I know our material that we sell and that we make out of has all been taken down, not for the purpose of making lumber, but because of, you know, it had to. It was either blown down or somebody cut it down because it was dangerous or it was dropping limbs or it was just being cleared with the rest of a piece of land. We're in a weird state globally with sourcing wood for lumber like I, I, well i have no issue at all with loggers um you know loggers are out there they're 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 cutting down trees that they themselves have helped regenerate and they're using that for paper products and for pulp and the things that we need for structural material to build with 
and I, I fully support the whole logging community. But when it comes to the hardwood trees that, you know, the stuff that you and me are making furniture out of, uh, especially exotic species from overseas, there's a lot of shady practices going on. Greed for certain species has led to the extinction or near extinction of a lot of different species. And it's, it's led to the point where logging companies are escorted into certain forests by gentlemen, you know, carrying automatic weapons. Right. Um, so, and, and that's, that's one issue. The other issue is that we're shipping material across the globe. And, and that's a great way for invasive pests to spread. Oh. Uh, and we've, we've suffered through, you know, our, our, our elm trees have suffered from Dutch elm. Oh yeah. Our, our chestnut trees have suffered from the chestnut blight that, that took those away. Our ash trees are under attack now with the emerald ash borer. And you know, here in the New York area, we've got um, Asian longhorn beetle. There's quarantine zones everywhere for that guy. There's, there's a disease going on on the West Coast with uh, walnut. And we've even got an issue with our oak locally here. Oak, oak wilt is taking out oak trees at an alarming rate. Oh, and no. All of that stuff came from overseas. And frankly, God only knows what we're bringing overseas when we export wood. So I like the idea of sourcing locally and selling locally and yep. not being a part of that paradigm where weird stuff's right. getting spread around. Right. I had a lumber broker one time. Uh, I was talking to him and I asked him, so is this uh, FSC certified material? He said, do you want it to be? Yeah, you know, that, that, that term gets to be kind of a joke. Uh, like, wink, wink, nudge, nudge, it's sustainable. And, you know, I don't expect everybody to put the same weight on these certain terms as I do, but I need that weight to be on those terms for myself. So, I'm looking at me, I'm sawing my own wood. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, we, we sell wood to a lot of other makers that have the same, the same kind of, you know, the same thought process. Right. What are the general public, what do you think they think of your, your efforts? Uh, do you think they're behind, behind you or support this or I don't know. You know uh, do you ever, did you ever catch any crap for people, you know, sawing up wood? No, no, not at all. Um, we get people that just, you know, very, every now and then this is very few, but there are people that just don't care. Um, especially end user customers looking for furniture. There's a lot of people that just, they want what they want at the lowest price. They don't care if it was ripped out of a rainforest or if it came from four blocks away. Right. Um, But for the most part, I have to say every time we explain our story, like people get it. And they're one of the things that's kept me going um, cause remember this is work, man. It's, it's a lot of work and oh, yeah. it's taken a physical toll. Um, it certainly has kept me away from, you know, away from home and fun things more than a 40 hour job would. But one of the things that keeps me going is that it's, it resonates with people and it's every now and then somebody will come across us and they'll just let me know one way or another that, you know, it's what we're doing has resonated with them enough to where I feel like, yeah, I got to keep doing this. Yeah. Um, you get complacent in whatever you do. And, and a lot of times it does just seem like I'm just going to work and, and, you know, the passion is still there, but in the day to day, 
you don't think of it every single day, every minute. And so I like those reminders. It helps me know that I'm not just spinning my wheels and that, you know, we're, we're still doing something that is having a positive effect on people, hopefully inspiring other models to do the same thing. Right. Yeah. There's so much material that comes out of city parks and cities in general. And it just gets trashed. I, I ran into a, I was walking the Beagle in the park one day and there's a group and there were like 20 people and they're all looking at the trees. And I went, that's the tree commission. <laughs> and I walked up to them and I said, the city parks just passed this bond to buy aluminum leachers. What about taking all the material that you cut down or falls down in the city parks and making wooden bleachers? I can help you with this. They thought I was crazy. They just thought, and they looked at me and they said, oh, no, can't work. If, if, People talk about recycling. This is, this is it. It's so easy. Uh, it's just that whole liability thing. People get all freaked out about that. So I think what you're doing is great. And, uh, I mean, if you think about what the city is responsible for after a weather event that's taken down a lot of trees, sure, they're the ones paying tree companies to clean it up. And then they got to go around and plant new trees. And then when they need stuff made out of wood, they have to buy that wood from a lumber vendor. Right. That material could have come from out of state. Just opening the eyes a little bit and saying, you know, all that material you just bought, you had that. You had that last month after the right. storm. It's there. And it wouldn't take that much space in a, in a city like New York or even Portland to, you know, carve out five acres and put a, a Lucas mill up in a, in a kiln. And there's your, your supply of lumber. It's just a constant stream like you said you've got more than you can deal with or you've got enough for the next two years. So It could do a lot of damage with an acre and a half. Oh, yeah. Okay. Any municipalities out there are listening, all I need is an acre and a half. I will give you <laughs> all the lumber you can shake a stick at. All right. Yes. And Roger's ready to go on the road and start consulting for you. That's great. Uh, here's the question I was going to ask earlier and I forgot about it. Sticker stain. Do you ever run into it? I, I haven't been able to figure out why the same stickers will leave stains deep into the thickness of some wood on some kiln loads and not other woods and other kiln loads. Yeah, I thought people were, or the mills were using fresh stickers or green stickers, and that's what I thought the fungus was coming from. It is a fungus, right, that goes through the thickness of the wood? It could be. It could also be tannins from either... This, the, the, the wood being dried or from the stickers themselves. Oh. Uh, we, use, we use oak stickers, and so I need to kiln dry, over kiln dry those stickers before we put them in a kiln load because that wet oak will definitely leave oxidizing marks on the wood. But, yeah, I mean, some species you'll get sticker stain one time and not the other time. I, 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 don't, I haven't been able to pinpoint it. Why not use something that's a little less, uh, you know, a, a wood like beech that doesn't have as much tannin in it um, instead of oak. I don't know anything about it, but... Um, you get a lot of oak. <laughs> <laughs> so it's there. Okay, I got it. I got it. What's the goal? You, you've got a, a furniture shop. How many guys you got in the shop working? Now there's three of us. Uh-huh. Uh, we, we've had as many as just me and uh, or as few as just me and as many as six employees in the shop. You know, aside from new and and interesting furniture designs, um, we've been looking a lot recently about 
like nailing down our model and taking it to other venues, um, taking it to other cities, other states, uh-huh. uh, possibly even other countries, you know, because there's a lot of material out there going to waste. And um, there's also a lot of places out there that do or, you know, residents do find value in the locally sourced, locally made dynamic. And so, you know, it's a good fit. Woodworking is in a renaissance. Like it's, it's as popular as it's ever been in the last 80 or so years. There's, there's, there's schools and there's tool manufacturers and there's, there's furniture makers everywhere you look. And that means that the hardwood demand is also increasing. So I'd like to see this model move around and become a little bit more widespread. So, yeah, we've looked at places on the West Coast. We've looked, you know, other spots here on the East Coast. And you never know. There's irons in the fire. We'll see what happens. Good. That's good. It's good to be thinking ahead like that. I like that. I'm not doing much in this area. Uh, Are there replanting efforts that go on in New York City? Uh, Yeah, actually, a couple years ago, you know, right before he left office, Mayor Bloomberg had the Million Tree Initiative. They were planting trees everywhere you look. Even before that, New York City is the third most well-planted urban area in the country. D.C. is first, and I honestly forget who's second. But we've got a lot of trees here. In my own experience, just paying attention to my environment, I've seen trees being planted every time something happens to, to one of them. Like on the street trees... And in the parks, there, there, it seems like there's trees being planted somewhere at all times. That's step one. You know, I think that the city realizes that there are beautiful things that they, they kind of up the value, the quality of living. When you're walking around and there's, there's lush greenery in your city. That's great to see. I mean, it's a beautiful place to live. And I think it's an easy segue from... You know, if the tree has value while it's standing, let's let's ensure it keeps its value after it's been felled. Yeah, rather than turn it into firewood, that's what happens. Yeah, New York City's landfills are already beyond capacity. So when we're chipping this stuff up and paying landfills to take it, those are out-of-state landfills. So that's uh, that's a little crazy. It is. It is. It's nuts. Yeah, it adds value to the neighborhood, but it it it's also very important as scrubbers of the of the atmosphere. Sure. Um, I think the number was something like we need to plant three trillion trees in the next twenty years to offset the uh, the greenhouse gases that we've been putting out. I I'm all for it. Let's start planting. So tell us how folks can uh, can find your uh, your mill, your website. Can people get uh, stuff shipped to them? How's it work? Yeah, we can ship. We can ship slabs. We can ship our dimensional stock. I've got a good supply of Rubo workbench kits that we have cut up, and we've shipped a number of those all over the country. We do ship out finished furniture via like third-party white glove surface. Wherever you are, I can get you what you want if it's something I make. <laughs> the website is ricobrooklyn.com. R E C O B K L Y N.com. And you can also check out our Instagram page, which is spelled the same, Rico Brooklyn. We, we update the Instagram anywhere from daily to weekly with new, new shop projects, new finished furniture, um, a little bit of behind-the-scenes stuff. So that's a good place to see a lot of recent stuff. 
on our website at ricobrooklyn.com, we have an inventory online of all the live edge slabs that we have cut and kiln dry and ready to buy or use. Um, so that's an interesting feature of the site if you'd like to take a look at that. Great. Uh, Super, super. Well, I really appreciate you taking the time and telling us about uh, your efforts to save these great, great trees from the landfill and turning them into beautiful furniture. It's, Thank you so much for having me. It's, it's been a real pleasure. I really appreciate it. You bet, Roger. Thanks. We'll talk again because this was fun. I really enjoyed it. Thanks. Cool. Sounds good, Gary. Bye-bye. All right. This has been Gary Rogowski for the Northwest Woodworking Studio. Please check out our website, northwestwoodworking.com. Support us on coffee. Ask a question. Happy to answer those. And check out our website for our upcoming classes this fall. Thanks so much. Take care. Bye-bye.